0: Are you looking for some striking graphics to promote your next business idea? Use Lauren as we do for all your graphical needs. You can contact her on Twitter at L-O-Z-U-N-N-I-E. We use her for all of our graphics here at the Business in Games podcast. Welcome to episode 003 of Business in Games, also known as the Big Podcast. I'm your host, Chris May smith In this show, we chat about anything gaming and technology, tackling the big and small business topics. Today, I have with us Campbell Simpson, who's had 10 years in the gig writing about technology, and as of the past three years, he's been at Cosmodo, currently holding the title of Australia's editor. Cam, how are you today, mate?
1: I'm good, mate. How are you?
0: Yeah, fairly decent. It's gotten a bit cold here in Melbourne, actually. All of a sudden, the temperature's gone quite down, but... You know, I've seen on social media that you've, uh, you've been hiking through the mountain ranges of New South Wales recently, so I assume the weather's a little bit better up north.
1: You know what? It is a cracking day up here. It's actually really, really nice here. Just went for a hike today and uh, having a relaxing afternoon.
0: Are you telling me that technology computer people do actually go outside? You know what? It's rare,
1: but when we do, we make the most of it. <laughs> we take a whole bunch of selfies, we stick them on uh, Instagram and Facebook and, and Twitter we, we, make, we make the world realize that we're out there.
0: You know, I think they really need to release one of those delayed status update things for your personal Facebook. I know that company pages, you can you know, you know can uh, establish it so Facebook posts can happen at a certain date and time. So maybe that one time I go outside next, I can just uh, queue up about 90 selfies to, to post so people actually think that I'm walking around out in the sun. See, I,
1: I figure you go out somewhere, you do a really long walk, you take a whole bunch of photos along the way at a bunch of different places... And then, you know, over the next six weeks, you're set. You're just like every single day, I'm in a different place.
0: You've, uh, you've got this planned out a little bit too much, I think. I think yeah, I, prom- I make- promise
1: they didn't have this already organized.
0: <laughs> so I mentioned that you've, uh, you're currently holding the title as, uh, you know, the Gizmodo Australia editor. Um, you know, we chatted a bit off mic and, and um, you know, people have seen on Twitter a lot too that you've, you've previously done a lot of freelance work as well. One of the questions that I guess comes to mind straight away is the difference between being a freelancer and working in something like you do, you know, say in a wage job. How would you say that your daily writing tasks have changed from, you know, when you've been a freelancer over PC World Magazine and PC Tech Authority and a bunch of different tech publications compared to, you know, working a full-time wage job as you are currently?
1: So the big difference between freelancing and working full-time is that when you're freelancing, you know, you set your own agenda. You can decide when you wake up, when you do the work that you have assigned, when you, you know, when you pitch for new stories that you want to write. When I'm, when you're working full-time, you know, you have that uh, pressure placed on you by someone else, you know, so I have KPIs to hit, you know, I have uh, a website to run and people to manage. Um, you know, that that's uh, sort of, you know, that, that comes with the job that I do. Whereas when I was freelancing, you know, it's entirely up to you how much effort you put in versus, you know, the reward that you get back out of it.
0: Yeah. And that, I guess that brings me to think about, you know, the kind of freelancing that I did in the past working with Tweak Town, a mainly US-based publication. And It was very different, right? There's, And we've chatted a bit about this previously, that there's a few different types of freelancing where from what I understand, your freelancing was more so you're not hired specifically by an agency or by any one company and you pitch your stories towards different companies or the company will come to you and say, hey, we want to do say a motherboard roundup and you do that. Compared to my freelancing, for example, where I was technically freelancing, but I was only doing it for one website and I was covering... Certain different topics. Would you would you agree with that analysis?
1: Yeah. So when I was freelancing, it was um you know I was uh, putting myself out there and, and pitching stories and reviews to you know half a dozen different tech publications at the same time. You know, and, and there were always those you know those go-tos, you know, there'd be ha- those half a dozen that I would know would be commissioning stories that I have good relationships with the editors and sort of, you know, what they were looking for and their kind of their wishes lined up with the, uh, the work that I was able to do and the kind of stuff that I enjoyed doing. So, you know, I had a, a stable of, um, solid relationships with those publishers, but at the same time, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, um, uh, didn't have the security of working at one place, you know, with a guaranteed, uh, sort of, you know, income and guaranteed uh, workload every month.
0: Yeah. And I guess expanding on that fact of, you know, being, I guess, what I I call a waged job with having that kind of possible extra security compared to, you know, being the freelancer where you have to make sure that you hit your personal target for money in each month and things like that. Do you find that the pressure is more so having to, you know, be the editor and and run the website? Because I do know that, that Allure Media likes to keep, you know, quite a slim, quite a, you know, quite a slim amount of writers. So would you say that the pressure is more so or less so being a wage writer or is it just a different kind of pressure compared to freelance?
1: Look, it's a different kind of pressure. Like, you know, obviously, you know, in any kind of job and in any kind of writing job, the pressure is what you, you place on yourself. You know, I would say when I was freelancing, you know, I, I had uh, quite fat months and quite lean months. And, you know, on those on those fat months at the end of the month, you'd be like, yeah, I've done enough work. I'm just going to take the rest of the week off. You know, I've made made my money for the month. Um, working a wage job and, you know, working at uh, Gizmodo as I do as editor, you know, I have those different responsibilities. You know, I have to uh, interact with the US team. I have to uh, manage my team and I have to do all of that at the same time as actually producing work and, you know, still working as a writer, of course. That's primarily the uh, the, the main job that I have. Um, and it's, it's instead of... Um, Instead of having sort of one task to complete as a freelancer, you know, like uh, delivering on work that has been commissioned or finding new work, um, you know, working as a waged uh, editor, you know, I have uh, a bunch of different pressures sort of vying for my attention. And it's balancing all of those that is sort of the main uh, day to day for me.
0: Yeah. And I guess you have, I guess, the added responsibility, right? Because you're the editor for those who don't know the the editor is more so than just say, editing other people's work or it's more so than just being the more senior person who writes stuff so could you could you expand a bit more on say how the editor would work compared to someone who works underneath you for example say ray johnson who does some writing at gizmodo as well
1: yeah so ray is my uh, is my news writer so she's the she's the journalist uh at gizmodo and i'm, I'm the editor but you know editor doesn't sort of We have such a a flat structure that, you know, I'm not editing Ray's work, for example. She publishes straight to the website just like I publish straight to the website. Um, My role you know, that extra responsibility that it it involves is, uh, you know, steering the editorial direction of the, of the site, you know, saying uh, these are the topics of the day of the week of the month. These are the things that we're going to cover. You know, these are the um, events that we want to be reporting from, or these are the sort of technology topics that we want to be paying attention to. And, you know, my, uh, Management of of you know my staff. I've got you know uh, I've got Ray, my journalist, and I've got we've got our Haley, our social media editor, and Amanda, who is our um, early morning sub editor. So she takes care of a lot of the US refeed and you know covers any breaking news that might happen you know between sort of four a.m. and eight a.m. Um, my extra responsibility with those guys is you know, and I give them you know I I have the the fantastic ability. Well, I have the the fantastic team that they don't require. Yeah, you know, really any management, everyone's so autonomous. Um, my responsibility is basically just sort of guiding them through, you know, these are the tech topics that you should be educating yourself on and paying attention to. And then, you know, from there, I'm, I'm able to leave it up to them to actually, you know, do their day-to-day jobs and, and get that stuff done.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned about, you know, having an early morning sub editor and having different editors who are you know, really based around different topics and things like that, and and you having to control that, balancing the scales, you know, touching on that topic a bit more with tech being 24 seven, you know, as I do, and a lot of other people do, most press releases are US time based, which is you know, anywhere between midnight and 6am and for us. And, you know, for example, I work at Corsair and all of our press releases are 6am PST, which daylight savings or not figures out to be about midnight. Do you find it's hard for you to relax, um, you know, being the editor and controlling this kind of stuff and obviously writing yourself, you always have to be in touch with technology. And that's actually a question asked on Twitter by at James Croft.
1: Yeah, so because, you know, like technology is 24-7 these days, you know, we're part of a uh, publication that spans the world. We've got, you know, websites that operate out of the US and UK and Japan and India and, um, you know, a whole bunch of other places like that. Um, So we have, you know, our, uh, regional outposts that cover news in different time zones. But at the same time, you know, we want to pay attention to everything from an Australian perspective 24-7. And you know, yeah, that means, you know, that we cover uh, major technology events. So, you know, it might be a an Apple launch or a, a Samsung launch that might happen, you know, 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. Australian time. You know, that we still have to, you know, have our input on that and, you know, add our own uh, editorialising and our own voice to that for you know, the readers that expect that from, from uh, Gizmo to Australia. So, you know, it, it does mean that there's extra time pressure outside of, you know, just a regular nine to five. My job is very much not a nine to five one. You know, the majority of what I do is in the daytime, you know, in, in Australian daytime. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, outside of work hours, uh, you know, events that I might be attending in the evening or the morning and, you know, news that I'm covering that, you know, happens, you know, more often than not in the U.S. time zone. So, you know, I have to live partially in a U.S. time zone. And
0: part of that, and part of that, do you find that uh, there's an issue, you know, maybe getting into a flow with your job? Do you find that disruptive flow is, is something that's actually, I guess, disruptive to what you do? Or do you find that that's really just part of the excitement for the job? I mean, for example... You know, working in office, you might say, okay, I get in the office at 9 a.m., I do my emails from 9 till 10.30 a.m., then I tackle a specific topic from 10.30 till lunch, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, what you're talking about is a lot of it happens, you know, outside of work hours, it could be as simple as a Facebook message to a PR person, them asking where their reviews at, or it could be you staying up late to, you know, take a look at a product that's being launched live and streamed.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I have a certain amount of structure to any kind of work day that I do. You know, we have uh, a structure of posts that go up on the site, you know, so there's regular slots that need to be filled with, you know, content, whether it's from the US or from Australia um, outside of that structure. Um, you know, it's, it's all a bit up in the air. So, you know, we have, we have to react to breaking news as it happens. You know, we have to publish a certain number of reviews every week, you know, because there's, uh, you know, so many important technology products that come out you know Mm. and on top of that it's it's um you know one large part of my job involves you know traveling around the world to different technology events you know so i'm i'm you know i'll be at e3 in june i'll be at uh, ether which is a sort of home appliance and home entertainment gadgets uh conference in uh in in berlin in september you know i was at ces in january um computex is coming up as well you know there's so many um different events that require travel, you know, and reporting from different parts of the world that, you know, you have to be um, very flexible on both sort of a monthly basis and a day-to-day basis.
0: Mm, Of course. And, you know, speaking of of traveling for these events and and while traveling can be, you know, brilliant at first and and maybe get a bit stale, what what to you makes a decent work travel experience? Because it's obvious, like you said, you, you do have some people supporting you, but it is a lean team and you have to keep the news turning over to keep the website going. So, and, and, you know, obviously while you're traveling, it's harder for you to create content on the road on a laptop. So for you personally, what makes a, a good business trip, a good business trip?
1: So like, you know, I, I I've taken a fair few uh, business trips for work in my time. Um, one of, you know, I find it very, um, well, it's almost mandatory, you know, that you're working on the plane to the destination and, you know, on the, on the, on the ground, once you get there, um, having the ability to sort of work slightly ahead, you know, so, um, uh, what I mean is, you know, if, if, if I'm at, an event or I'm heading over to you know a product launch or or something like that having you know the the lion's share of the information that's going to be revealed you know having that under NDA or having early access to their products and things like that does make the the process of reporting so much easier because you know uh, uh, despite being on the road you know I can't actually disconnect from my nine-to-five job you know there's still and I'm able to offload you know a significant amount of that to to the team that I work with but at the same time you know there's there's a certain expectation of, you know, running the site as as per normal, despite the fact that you're on the other side of the world.
0: Yeah. And yeah, we've chatted between us personally a little bit before about the difference between, I guess, news and also publishing reviews and things like that too. I just wanted to touch on it and get a bit of what you think about The balance, you know, maybe it's specific. Maybe the balance would be specific to Gizmodo, or maybe the balance would be more specific to how you like to run things. Because I guess you're the editor at Gizmodo. But how would you explain, I guess, the experience and you know the pressure of reviewing things compared to churning out day to day news and updates?
1: So it's it's a really interesting kind of compromise because you know I come from a reviewing background. I got my got my first job in technology. Uh, Rioting on the basis of the fact that I was doing tech support, you know, uh, that I got uh, hired at PC World Magazine purely to do home entertainment reviews. And my, you know, role has obviously changed so much since then. And Gizmodo is a site that runs, you know, as much as anything else. It runs on, on, on its news coverage, you know, it has a blog style format. We publish news on the, you know, could be every half an hour, could be every 15 minutes. Um you know, within the sort of a, the Australian workday. Um, and, you know, the, by volume, the, the vast majority of the content that goes up is uh, news. But, uh, you know, by its very nature, news is, is a transitory thing. And, you know, we have reviews and we have our longer feature pieces and, and you know, comparisons and, and you know, all of, all of the work that requires slightly more effort and uh, sort of um, attention than breaking news does. Um, those are the kind of things that, that I certainly find the most value in writing for, for Gears. But again, finding the time to, to devote to those is, is, is difficult, especially when you've got that, you know, that, that breaking news or, you know, the daily news cycle um, hanging over your head.
0: Yeah. And I guess personally for me, you know, doing a bit of writing with Tweaktown and analyzing this as on the other side of the fence as the PR person that pushes those those kind of announcements, but also the reviews towards journalists such as yourself. uh, The, you know, the the day to day news and the updates, I guess, are really what provides you with the core audience. I, I believe it's what provides you with legitimacy, but it's also what provides you, I guess, with the with the bulk of the views to be able to bring in the money. To pay the bills, right? If you take this out, for example, in a completely different aspect, one way that I that I like to analyse some of the uh, car modification workshops that I work with, you know, for them, servicing cars is their bread and butter. That's how they pay their rent. That's how they pay their wages. But then they're able to use that extra time, which you could say call reviews, as your investment money. You know, the, the reviews are things that might bring in Gizmodo a lot of views, especially if, say it's an iPhone launch or something like that. But it's really the news, aka the servicing of cars that, you know, bring in the Google ads and, and help your advertisement team kind of sell the spots. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's sort of a, it's sort of a mix between, you know, one high traffic article versus 10 relatively low traffic articles. You know, they might, they might end up adding up to roughly the same amount of page views, but you know, it's all about how much time you're spending on that, on that review. For example, you know, our our two largest reviews of the year are inevitably the iPhone of that year and the Samsung Galaxy uh, flagship phone of that year, mm. um, but you know the, the the time and effort involved in even just the writing of those reviews not a, not alone not you know even just the writing of those reviews and not just the uh, you know the actual heading along to an event that might be on the other side of the world you know reporting the, uh, the launch of that phone the the initial hands on you know the pricing um, and then you know getting the hold of the review unit and and putting the time and effort into uh, you know mucking around with a with a gadget to be able to have the background knowledge and have the expertise to write that review, you know, the amount of time that that's invested, um, you know, far outweighs, uh, you know, the the, uh, the the time and effort that goes into writing, say, you know, 10 news pieces that might get that same uh, amount of traffic. But, you know, having, having those reviews on the site and having, um, you know, the expert voice uh, that goes into writing those reviews, those are the kind of things that we find, you know, having we find you know really builds the reputation of the site
0: yeah and what would you say is your personal what would you say that is your personal expertise you know you've mentioned um you've mentioned things about iphone and and android before and and you know you seem to talk quite a lot on social media about things like tesla and things like that so is there something specific that's your passion that you like to push through to your work and is there anything that you'd possibly like to write a little bit more about as well
1: well, I would say my passion and the thing that I would like to write more about is exactly the same thing. And you mentioned it before, it's, it's you know, electric cars. I think Australia is at such an interesting point uh, where, you know, electrification is about to take off in a massive way. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's something that is um, sort of happening quietly in the background. It's almost underreported, I'd say. Um, and that's because, you know, having the time and effort to to devote to that as well as everything else is, you know, is difficult. Gizmodo is a site that writes about absolutely everything from, you know, iPhones to uh, cars, you know, we're one of the few car, so, sorry, one of the few technology sites in Australia that writes about cars. Um, but, you know, having the, um, the wide remit that we do means that we can only devote a certain amount of attention to, attention to each of those categories, you know, and finding the time to to write more about electric cars, for example, is something that, you know, I, I very much want to do, but it's, you know, it's a constant struggle.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and, and, you know, going back to that quickly, that question was actually from at Heosat on Twitter and just another question asked on Twitter as well, which I guess touches on the overarching topic that we're chatting about right now in regards to reviews. Is there anything personally that you've reviewed that has since become part of your day-to-day life? Is there any specific products in, you know, the past 13 years of you or 10 years of you working in technology that's really stuck out for you?
1: You know, it's so, you know, I, I have a huge amount of technology that comes across my desk on a sort of a, on a weekly basis. Um, you know, I was sick for a couple of days this week and, uh, ducked back into the office, uh, to pick up some bits and pieces over the long weekend and found, you know, a desk, uh, literally full of, of deliveries of of new products, which is a great, you know, great problem to have, but it kind of highlights the fact that, that, there's so much happening, uh, you know, in the technology scene that it's hard to spend any huge amount of time with one thing, you know, I'll, I'll I might be, you know, using a phone for a couple of weeks to, uh, you know, to build a, enough of a background picture of it to review it, you know, without just, uh, playing with it for a couple of seconds, you know, that's, that's kind of dishonest and it's not the kind of thing our readers expect. Um, but, but despite that, you know, At the end of that two weeks, there's a new phone out, you know, uh, and that means, you know, I'll need to, you know, put this uh, phone down that I may have really enjoyed using and move on to something that's not, you know, not nearly as fun or not nearly as, you know, high tech or interesting or innovative. Um,
0: you're like but, a, uh, you know, a technology lab rat or guinea pig, right?
1: <laughs> well, pretty much, you know, I, 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 get the opportunity and it's a great opportunity to have, I get the opportunity to use, uh, you know, basically, you know, let's say every, uh, flagship Android phone that comes out in a year, you know, I'll get the chance to muck around with it at, at one point or another. Um, and it's, and it's fascinating because it gives you, you know, that kind of background knowledge and that experience, uh, with these gadgets. But at the same time, you know, it's such a transitory thing, you know, we, we have a, a We'll have a phone in our office for a month, and it goes back to you know the PR company or the or the manufacturer, and we move on to the next one. Um, so I guess in answer to the question that was asked, um, there's there's very few technology products that are actually you know. Uh, one have the ability to hang on to because you know but more often than not it goes uh back to the to the manufacturer at the end of our review time with it um but at the same time you know i'm lucky enough to have such a constant stream of bits and pieces coming across my desk that uh before i get bored with something i get the chance to move on to the next there are a few things i guess that have that have stuck around in my day-to-day life you know the first um oled tv review that i reviewed Um, I now actually have sitting in my house, uh, you know, in, in my bedroom, big 55 inch, uh, OLED TV. Um, and that, you know, OLED is, is one of those, uh, technologies that when, you know, you see it, you go, wow, this is a big difference to, you know, LCD or even to plasma, um, (laughs) in the last couple of years. And there's, yeah, of, you know, of the, uh, masses of technology that I get a chance to muck around with there's sort of, there's only a very small amount that, that sticks around.
0: Yeah. And that that one also, actually, I forgot to forgot to mention was a question from at Gridfish on Twitter as well. So, you know, for those people who are listening through to this podcast and would like to put in some of their own questions for anyone we chat to in the future, that is at Business and Games on Twitter. But self-promotion aside, you know, getting, getting back to, I guess, the beginning of, you know, you were saying you moved from freelance into a full-time wage job and at Cecilia Lynn on Twitter, wanted to ask a question too. And thankfully I've not had to do much work because you you seem to be quite popular on Twitter, but she wanted to know about entry pathways into technology journalism and specifically in regards to internships, you know, because we chatted about freelance versus wage, you know, a couple of uh, episodes ago, I had a chat to Tech City, who's a YouTuber who's, you know, kind of made his own way in technology. So there's obviously quite a lot of different jobs you can do. So is there a clear cut path you could, you, could uh, you know, try to tell someone to get into this industry or are there any specific pointers?
1: You know, there are so many different ways that you can actually get into uh, tech journalism and technology writing, you know, even, even, you know, saying that I come to it from a writing perspective, you know, um, uh, becoming a YouTuber, for example, is becoming more and more you know, popular uh, for people to, to try out and see whether they stick, you know, whether they mm. it's something that they can enjoy doing and they can get followers and, you know, eventually make a living wage out of. In terms of technology journalism, you know, in the traditional sense, the, you know, the pen and paper writing, well, or keyboard style you know, <laughs> writing, I guess. Um, an internship, I think, is incredibly valuable because it gives you that kind of... Uh, newsroom experience, I guess, you know, gives you the ability to, to sit down with a bunch of other journalists that have done the same job for, you know, might maybe, you know, years and decades before that and get that kind of experience of, uh, understanding how they work and, you know, the way they pick their stories that they write and things like that. Um, with that said, um, there's a reason that we don't offer internships at gizmodo and that's because um i personally believe that you know you should be paid for the work that you do and you know we don't have uh, a budget allocated to um to to paid interns you know so i prefer to put all of my um you know my wages towards full-time writers for example um so you know having an internship is incredibly valuable but at the same time getting a hold of one you know at a company that's relevant to the industry that you want to get in is is difficult. You know, it's, it's, it's a fantastic pathway, but at the same time, it's uh, almost more tempting, I would say to, you know, jump straight into freelancing and, you know, start writing stories that you think, you know, need to be written and, and, and doing uh, the pieces of content that you feel comfortable doing or that you enjoy doing, and then shopping those out to, to websites that may be able to, you know, to, to buy them off you.
0: Yeah. And I mean, touching on the, on the intern part, is that something that you and I would definitely agree strongly with. I mean, my previous job at Thermaltake and TD Esports, I pushed two, two interns into the company through that and and Jeremy and Jono, and they've actually taken over now that I'm, I'm not at Thermaltake for the last couple of years. And I, I think for them, you know, hopefully I was able to teach them a bit after a few years of experience and for them, you know, it's obviously landed them a job and and some real world kind of experience to do some things. And once again, it's the same, you know, it's the paid internship. Obviously, you're not going to expect a lot of money necessarily in internship, but- it's more than zero and it's more than I guess in quotation marks what they call giving you exposure for you know getting some writing but you know as far as exposure goes I guess it's not always so bad because you chat a little bit about you know whether you should just start writing your own stories and get and pitching them out there I do know that some companies do offer a 50-50 split with advertising for example so you can write it you can write an article for them. You have no pressure to or to not write. And if you publish it on there, they'll split the you know Google ad revenue 50-50 with you. And, and like you said, Cam, you know there's just so many different options to jump in. But you did mention that it's quite hard to get a foothold into this kind of industry. And I guess this is a question that I've asked everyone who's come on so far and everyone in the future. Would you say that it's almost too late to start being a technology writer or is it never too late?
1: Look, you know, I, I, I think of, you know, the, the way that my job has evolved in the last decade. You know, I, I got a job at PC World Magazine and, uh, you know, the entirety of my nine to five, and it was a nine to five, for example. Um, the entirety of my nine to five was um, writing, you know, words into a Microsoft Word document and then sending that Microsoft Word document to someone else, you know. That, uh, that sub editor chose a headline, that sub editor chose an image and published it on the website in the first place. You know, my job now involves publishing directly to the website. You know, my, my job involves taking photo, making videos, uh, doing social, um, go- attending events. You know, there's there's a huge amount of, of uh, you know, difference in the job that I did 10 years ago and the job that I do now. Um, and because of that, I think, you know, I think you're expected to uh, have, you know, a different set of abilities to you might, to what you might have 10 years ago. Um, I, I think that does make it more difficult, but at the same time, you know, over those last 10 years, we've seen, you know, YouTube become incredibly, incredibly popular, for example. So there's, there's different avenues to getting into, you know, the technology scene more broadly. Um, I think it's not unreasonable to say that getting into technology writing and technology journalism or games journalism, games journalism as well, um, has become more difficult from that traditional, you know, uh, do a university degree and move on into a, you know, a graduate level job, Mm. um, that has become more difficult, but also, you know, there's, there's alternatives that, uh, exist now that didn't exist for me when I was starting
0: yeah and talking about YouTube that you brought up, do you you know, I guess for me personally, I would classify Gizmodo as more of a consumer tech compared to say Tweaktown who will be talking to their head editor in double episode four who's more of a I guess enthusiast tech and some of the YouTube enthusiast techs as well. would you would you consider for Gizmodo picking up some kind of full-time video editors, and do you think that that's that's a space that a lot of the consumer tech websites will be moving further into?
1: Yeah. So we've actually got plans to, you know, always do more and more video as we move throughout the year and the year after this, you know, it's something that, that is, uh, becoming expected, you know, there's, and it's, it, it, it can boil down to something as simple as, you know, the, the ads that appear in video, um, you know, are more profitable than the ads that appear in the website, you know? So it's, there's, there's so many different things to consider, you know, in, in, in that kind of transition. Um, I think it's, you know, I think it's one of those things that, uh, obviously has evolved even since I've been writing and is going to continue to evolve, you know, as I continue. And, you know, after my time, um, I think video is obviously going to become more and more important, even on those, you know, on on sites like Gizmodo that, that, you know, have that kind of, they are sites that are predominantly, you know, text-based. Oh, you there?
0: You cut
1: out for a second. Yep, yep. All right, sweet. I think I think my mic might have gone a bit silly, but yeah. No, I I, I just right. finished up what I was saying, saying um, uh, yeah. I think it's you know it's going to become more important in you know as as years come as the years go on.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you know, touching on you were talking a little bit about the advertising and the difference between websites and YouTube and things like that. Could you could you explain to the people listening? how how Gizmodo works in terms of advertising and, and writing and editorial? Is there a difference? Are you covering the whole lot, A and B, or is there a separation between the two?
1: Yeah, so we, we are, you know, I, I consider us absolutely lucky in that we have, you know, an absolute firewall that exists between, uh, you know, our advertising sales team and our editorial team. So, you know, I I have a very broad understanding of how, you know, the the advertising side works, you know, working as an editor, I, I interact with the sales team and, you know, I act as a liaison in that in that way between you know the the kind of things that our sales team might uh, sell and you know the the editorial side of things, um, but we have you know a, a complete autonomy you know over what we write. For example, you know we we decide the stories that we cover and the topics that we pay attention to. Um, Gizmodo is a site that runs predominantly on you know uh, banner advertising, and and you know that's that's been something that has. Uh, you know sort of formed the backbone of of the web and journalism on the web you know so it's 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 you know not a new thing it's a time old uh, part of the internet mm. um, yeah as well as that you know um, we take part in you know one one thing that's sort of becoming, More and more popular on the internet, which is, um, you know, which is content. So, so we have a commercial editor that works um, sort of, again, as a, as a liaison between the sales team and the editorial side of things. So uh, our commercial editor, uh, Tegan um, works on, you know, uh, it might be uh, the deals posts that go up on Gizmodo and our, and our sister sites over the course of a day, or, you know, there may be some sponsored series that, you know, that the sales team, uh, May be collaborating with you know uh, technology companies on. Um, she will be taking care of those because that provides that firewall between you know our editorial independence and you know the what the sales team is doing to to make money for the sites.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's a good segue from that firewall into into the more PR side of things, which is where you know I'm working currently. We've seen that. Globally, I guess a lot of a lot of press and journalists have ended up moving over from the, the the press side to the PR side. Take for example Matthew Wu, who a lot of the techies know quite well in Australia, you know, a guy from Sydney who's now in Melbourne working for, for M and C partners doing promo for a lot of startups and catch of the day. He was at And previously he was at Asus and and Edelman, and you know he was writing freelance for a while. You have examples of myself working at Tweaktown while I was in university. Now come over to what we joke as the dark side, working for PR and Corsair, and you know even the global even the global PR guy from Corsair, Harry Butler, he came over from some of the print mags too. Do you find yourself entertaining that idea to move over into PR from journalism? Does the freedom, I guess, of writing ever get old? Do you think about going to say you could almost say a more stable job, but not necessarily i guess just the other side of the fence
1: yeah look you know I, i'm very comfortable in the job that i have now you know i've i feel like i've been very lucky to sort of move up within uh the australian technology journalism scene to one of the jobs that i consider you know as the pinnacle of it so I'm, you know I'm, I'm i'm very uh happy uh with the job that i have now you know i, I get the ability to to you know muck around with technology and and you know uh, on a on an ab- absolutely changing basis every single day you know every single day is uh, entirely different to the one before it. I think if I was to you know move out of journalism but stay within the technology industry I think the thing that would have to to draw me across would be some kind of um, evangelism role so you know it would be it would be a role uh, still talking about a tech still talking about technology but working at a company that you know I, uh, personally am a fan of you know that that I enjoy the products of or that I you know that I, I think they're doing something important in the world. Um, I, I, I think that's probably um, the only thing that I would consider outside of journalism rather than uh, the PR side of things.
0: Yeah, and talking about you know the quality of products and the quality of company, being a being a technology reviewer at heart and that's what I you know I like to I, I like to do my writing across the most of as well. I wanted to have a bit of a discussion that that we've talked about a little bit previously, which is how a great product will really change your outlook on the day and and the outlook on products. You know, it's no you know, it's nothing new to us that lots of products will come across our desk and you'll be pitched a billion Bluetooth speakers a day from random Amazon companies looking to make some affiliate link money. And, you know, there's there's no doubt that you've always got eight phones at any one time that, that are trying to get into your hands. But what's it like when that one product comes along that really just blows you away and, and really kind of reinvigorates what you want to write about?
1: So, you, like, yeah, you're right in saying that there's a huge amount of products. Um, and what that really means is that when there's that one that stands out it stands out so much more significantly because you know you have uh, so many technology products that are released let's take you know android phones for example um there's you know dozens released every single year and they can very much be very samey you know they follow they follow the same trends uh they have roughly the same specs um but it means that when there's you know a new flagship launch or a new, you know, uh, upstart company that comes out of nowhere and says, Hey, we've got this really interesting concept. Let's see how we can, you know, prosecute that, how we can take that to the masses when those things happen. And it's, you know, I mean, you could almost, you know, you could almost call it the Tesla effect, you know, a company that has, uh, in the, in the past few years, you know, well, in the past decade, really come out of, uh, you know, come out of nowhere and come out of, uh, being, you know, a bold claim basically, and delivering on those promises, and you know, I mean, Tesla is now, I think, the uh, the highest uh, market value uh, automaker in the U.S. As a result, you know, mm. beating out companies that have you know hundreds of years of of manufacturing, um, and it comes from that, uh, it comes from them having that you know, unconventional promise or that unconventional uh um claim to fame you know the, the, those big promises that that they make when they actually deliver on them rather than just making those promises those are the times that you know that they that they really stand out and because you know because there's so many products that that come out with those promises and don't deliver on them it's when when you see those promises you know when you see those things actually become real you know th- things like uh, google assistant for example you know uh, a voice assistant that actually you know you can talk to in relatively natural language and you can ask questions and receive responses and give contextual uh feedback to you know have an actual conversation with when those things work know, when, when they're promised to work and then when they do work as you want them to, that's, you know, it's really gratifying because, you know, it's a little bit of that kind of, you know, I, I feel like I'm living in the future. You know, it's one of those, one of those few instances where you go, oh, this has actually worked as promised and it's really cool.
0: And I guess it really comes back to believing in the product. And that's something that you always want to do. And, you know, touching on how you said that if you went to the PR side of things, you'd really want to work for a company you believed in and you thought had good products. And, you know, that's something that I did with Corsair, for example. For those who know me more personally, you know, I stopped working at university and and stopped working at Tweaktown and running my own projects to take up this kind of job. And for someone who has you know for me maybe 6 years and for you 10 to 13 years experience in the industry it's not something that comes across lightly and you know there's it's nothing new to me to release a new mechanical keyboard with some better RGB lighting or you know slightly advanced cherry keys and all that kind of stuff and and while that's interesting to me as I'm an enthusiast it's when those products come out that are truly exciting for example say the corsair one which you guys have reviewed recently or alex has reviewed on gizmodo that really kind of i guess reinvigorates what the work that you're doing and you sit back and think you know holy crap i've got you know it's anywhere between one and three corsair one sitting in my room testing and playing games with and, and this is a product that i'll really enjoy and will pay money for i'm getting to play with it for free
1: yeah. So it's, it's, it's rare, but when it does happen, you know, and I was, and I was actually talking to off uh, Mike about this and talking to Alex about it previously, you know, the Corsair one is one of those, one of those things we are uh, one of those products, you know, and they're so rare where you, you see them and you experience them and you're just like, Oh, this is something that's, that's genuinely slightly new. This is, this is a concept that's been, you know, brought to market and prosecuted well and it, and it delivers on the things that it promises to. Yeah, you know, mm. it's 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 quite rare, but when it does happen, you're you know it's gratifying.
0: Welcome to the future. That's what you said. <laughs> mm. So speaking of Tesla, it's no fan. It's no uh, you know it's nothing new. I've used that. That's the first time I've ever used. It's nothing new, and I've said it like four times today. But. For anyone who follows you on, on Twitter and, and around the, you know, around the house and, and watches you sleep, it's obvious that you're a fan of Tesla and you've, you've spoken quite fondly about some of the things they released and they've obviously got some big plans in the future. And, and I know that we've chatted about this, but officially on air, what would be a couple of your favorite products that you have reviewed of all time?
1: Well, you know what I, I you know, you give me a really good segue there um, to talk about the Tesla Model S. You know, when that was launched into Australia um, a couple of years ago, at, at the end of that year, um, it was. You know, I, I think I opened my review by saying, you know, this is the most incredible car that I've ever driven because it was, you know, such a uh, a quantum leap in driving from the car, you know, or cars that I'd driven before that. You know, it it's, uh, you know, one of those sort of things that you realize after the fact is a bit of a stepping stone on the way to sort of a new generation of, of, uh, technology, Hmm. um, outside of the Model S, you know, and, and, and some of the other things that Tesla's done over the previous couple of years, you know, being a company that makes those kind of bold gambles, um, The one thing that kind of stands out to me as, again, one of those kind of moments in time is when I got the opportunity to go to uh, Zero Latency, which is a warehouse scale virtual reality space uh, down in um, North Melbourne, Um, you know, got the chance to go and visit those guys when it was, you know, literally just five guys working out of uh, what was otherwise a very empty warehouse, you know, filled with um, VR uh, tracking gear. Um, you know, and, and, you know, they, they delivered very much on their promise of, you know, this is the entirely wireless, uh, warehouse scale, virtual reality space, you know, and, and, and talking to them in the 18 months or almost two years now since they have launched, um, and seeing them go from, you know, a company with, uh, a, a warehouse space in North Melbourne to a company, you know, with, uh, you know, a, a similar kind of, you know, Virtual reality spaces opening up in North America, in Japan, in South America. You know, having having been valued significantly um, and invested in by huge companies. Um, seeing that develop, seeing you know that 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 company, especially go from small to you know start making waves around the world. Um, you know, it, it's rare to be a part of that from the start, which I think probably makes it a little more significant. Um, it also helps. Hap, it also helps that, you know, they're Australian. You know, they they've been doing some really cool things on the world stage, you know, from their little uh, North Melbourne warehouse. Um but, you know, I would say, yeah, zero latency is one of those one of those things that really stands out as uh a really sort of special moment in time.
0: Yeah, and and chatting about, you know, the good and the bad stuff. This is actually a question from James Anderson on Facebook through the Oceania uh business and, and esports Facebook group. He wanted to know what are some of the more challenging aspects in your field? Because it's no, you know, we we chat a lot in business and games about, you know, I guess the good parts and the bad parts. And uh, being business in games, I really like to touch on what are the obstacles that you have to overcome to, you know, do your day-to-day or to be successful in your field. So how would you address that question? you know
1: i i feel like i've got you know i've got the fundamentals of technology journalism down pat pretty well in the last 10 years um you know so you know uh, delivering content, you know, writing a story, for example, or finding the right image or for, or writing the good, you know, an appropriate headline or, or having a good relationship with, uh, you know, the people that I need to talk to, the experts and the companies that make my job possible. Um, the main thing for me that I find as a challenge is just uh, staying up to date, is being educated on the topics that I cover, you know, and, that, and that's something that I think I would probably find really difficult if I wasn't an enthusiast outside of, you know, my nine to five job, you know, I I get on the train at the end of the day to head home Mm. and, you know, I'll jump on, you know, Reddit's R slash technology subreddit because I like reading about the things that I write about. You know, I'm lucky in that my job is, is, is one of the things that I really enjoy. Um, But at the same time, because everything is technology, because, you know, there's so many different facets to what I write about. And because Gizmodo was a site that writes about, you know, a huge range of technology and the way that it affects, you know, uh, consumers everyday people being up to date on you know as much as I can or you know being expert within the specific topics that I want to cover you know on an ongoing basis or for an upcoming feature or something that I'm doing being able to devote the time to to educate myself on those things that's probably the, the you know the biggest obstacle that I encounter by far is finding the free time to educate myself on the things that you know that are that are increasingly important
0: yeah and and at james crofts um messaged in as well to the at business and games twitter and you know he mentioned about what we chatted about before about how tech is 24/7 does that personally for you make it hard for you to relax hard to switch off
1: Yeah, look, you know, I, I, I give myself my weekends, you know, we were talking about hiking before, you know, I give myself my weekends, uh, very much switched off. You know, I, I, I disconnect almost entirely from the website and from my email and, you know, from Twitter. Um, these are, you know, these are the things that I use to keep myself up to date as much as anything else. Um, disconnecting from those on the weekend means that I can, you know, throw myself into it, you know, from you know early Monday morning to late Friday evening, um, you know if if I was switched on with it twenty four seven, I think I would have burnt out long ago. Um, I think I found you know the reasonable compromise between being switched on and switched off. Um, it does become difficult to relax. Especially when, you know, there's there's a significant amount of overseas travel or, you know, it's a particularly uh, busy period, you know, the, the couple of weeks around CES or the couple of weeks around E3, for example, you know, they're, they're manic as a journalist, you know, with the amount of news that's coming out and the amount of uh, sort of contact that you have, even if it's just the amount of emails that you have to get through on a day-to-day basis, mm. Um but yeah, having that ability to, to disconnect, you know, even if it's just for a single day or for a couple of days, gives me the ability to, to, to recharge and come back into it refreshed.
0: Yeah, sure. So finally, is there, is there anyone special that you'd like to give a bit, of a, a bit of a shout out to? And, you know, for anyone who's wanting to follow some of your work, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so you can always follow us on uh, at Gizmodo AU on Twitter. You know, that's where we, we publish, you know, a constant stream of all the stories that go up on the site. And obviously, gizmodo.com.au is is the website that we run, you know, and you can always jump on there into the comments section and, you know, give us some feedback on, on an article or, or let us know how we're doing. Um, you know, there's one person that I'd like to, to give a shout out to, and that's Ray Johnston. She's at Ray Johnston on Twitter. Uh, not that she needs it because she's got probably about twice as many followers as I do. (laughs) Um, But she's my, you know, she's my uh, off-sider. She's my news journalist and she publishes, you know, the the vast majority of the Australian content that goes up on gears, you know. So, I, I, I I think that gives her, like I was saying before, you know, that gives her, uh, you know, this amazing perspective on, you know, so many different aspects of technology in Australia um, that, you know, I I would say, you know, go and ask her a question. Go and ask her uh, her opinions on on the things that are happening within the Australian tech scene because, you know, she's absolutely expert.
0: Yeah, she she's definitely crazy connected and she knows a lot. She's She knows a lot about everything, I guess is the Yeah, easy that way is that, that is
1: 100% way. true. She's, she's an expert on many matters.
0: On many matters. All right. Thanks for joining us today, Cam. And thank you to everybody else for listening into episode 003 of the Business in Games podcast. Who would you like us to chat to in the future? You can let us know at Business in Games on Twitter and also facebook.com forward slash Business in Games. You can also let us know what you think of, of my wonderful voice or any of our guests or discuss the topic at the Oceania Esports and Business Gaming Group. You can follow Campbell on Twitter at CSimpson, that's Simpson with a zero, or you can follow me at SmithyMayo or on Facebook.com forward slash SmithyMayo. So once again, thank you very much for listening into to the Business and Games Podcast. I've been your host, Chris May smith and bye for now.